Well, amen. We've, we have set the table well today for the Word of God. And so if you have a copy, with, turn with me to Psalms 48. As we continue our chapter-by-chapter chapter work through the book of Psalms, this is where we find ourselves this morning. Just to give you a little heads up too, uh, next week we're going to take a one-week break from Psalms. We're going to talk about prayer. So I want to challenge you some this week in just your normal walk with God. Grab the book of Acts and every day simply read a chapter until Sunday. Just, just do that with me as preparing yourself. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4 next week. We're going to talk about prayer. Prayer, corporate prayer. Prayer within the community of faith. And so just, just for that, I think you'll be well prepared for the sermon next week. So Psalms 48. These Psalms are interconnected. Appreciate so much Pastor Robbie from Parkwood preaching. He handles the word well, as I'm sure you've seen, and wonderful brother. And uh, me and my wife got away for our 25th anniversary, and we went to Niagara Falls, and it was beautiful. And I'm, I'm rested but ready to preach this morning, so I'll try to keep myself under control. And uh, it's a good word this morning. There's a party going on, so to speak. It's been going on since last week, and it's word. This is what's happening. There's a celebration, and so there's a celebratory kind of flavor to this psalm, as it should be, as it should be to us. So let's stand in honor of God's word. Psalms 48, as we, as we read, let us look at the introduction. It says, a song, a psalms of the sons of Korah. Verse 1. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled. They came together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in a panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts. In the city of our God. Which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple, as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the end of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels. That you may tell the next generation that this is God. Our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. This is God's word. Lord, we say amen. You have guided us and you will guide us safely home. Is good news for us because not all of us feel like celebrating today. Israel did not always feel like celebrating either in their life. But yet we grab hold of our unchanging God and His promises 
And we praise your name. No matter the storm, no matter whether it's sunny or rainy in our life, we praise you, Lord, for you are our king and our shepherd. Speak to your people through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So the week before last, I had a, a key with me as an illustration. I got another little illustration here. I'll use it in a minute. But there is, as we begin to know God's word, begin to see it as the story of God, there are keys that are really important for us to be able to understand and to understand not only the past of Israel, the present of God's church, and the future of the consummation of all things when Christ returns, He set up some new heaven, new earth. You to need to understand this word, Zion. I'm not going to completely unpack it today because it is absolutely everywhere in the Old Testament. More than 150 times the word Zion is used. And we see there's oftentimes more. If you have your Bible, just flip back. It's one page for me. Psalms 46, verse 4. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. In other words, Zion was Jerusalem. It was the city of God. It was the place for Israel of God's presence. His power, His provisions, where His rest. Remember Psalms 46? God's people experienced rest because they were in Zion, in the city of God. It's where God was, so they were safe. Turn with me over to Psalms 132. I want you to see Zion. It's, it's absolutely everywhere. Once you begin to see it, it's like you ever bought a new car. You know, and you thought you were the only one that had that car type. And next thing you know, everywhere you drove, you see that car everywhere. <laughs> Once you become accustomed to some of these words in the Bible, you see them absolutely everywhere. Psalms 132. Psalms 132. Look at verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. Verse 14. This is my rest place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints with shouts of joy. There I will make the horn, the strength to sprout up for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him will his crown will shine. This is Zion. The place where God's people dwelled, where God's presence dwelled. In other words, Zion was a visible manifestation of the power, presence, and provision of the Lord their God. It's important to understand that, to be able to understand redemptive history. What is our Zion today? What is that which is the visible expression of the power and presence and provision of our God in the lives of His people? a good question. You see, for, for Israel, Zion was not only Jerusalem. There was a threefold reality to this. Remember, inside of Jerusalem, there was a temple. And inside the temple was what? The ark. So this is threefold expressions of God's power, God's presence, God's provision. And yet this song is not so much about Zion as it is about the God who manifested Himself in Zion. That's what the song is about. 
Where is God manifesting himself today? Zion then, this is important, a little teaching moment here. Zion then is typological. What do I mean by that? Typological is simply a way to interpret the Bible, one of many tools that he gives us, that finds an element in the Old Testament. It prefigures one that's found in the New Testament. And if you studied Zion, you could see that. So in other words, this is pointing both to the church and to the new Jerusalem. We speak a lot about heaven, but we don't speak much about the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And by the way, if you read the end of the book, that's the way it ends. (laughs) Talking about new Jerusalem. Robbie pointed this out last week. It's true this week in Psalms 48 that this is both Christological. In other words, it points to Christ. It also points to the mission of God. Did last week, so it does this week. It always so points to the future. And listen, in your everyday battle for life, your life has these three aspects in it too. And when you lose them, you find the joy of your life and the song of your heart diminishing. God makes us for this. So think about it. Psalms 46, be still. Remember, they're in the city. The enemies are outside the city and God is subduing the enemies. And at the end, he says, look out at the enemies. Guess what? They're gone. Be still and know that I am God. Psalms 46. Psalms 47 said, don't be still. Celebrate. Why? Because the victory has come. It's time to party. It's time to celebrate. The Lord has subdued the enemies and I don't know whether you did or not because I wasn't here, but you should have been clapping your hands. The Bible commands it in Psalms 47, right? I don't know. Did anybody clap their heads today? Maybe we need to work on that a little bit. Psalms 48, the worship service is still going on. So the main idea today should be able to answer our own question. Why are we here this morning? Why did you gather here today? Why did you come The people of God gather to praise the Lord. This is our sermon today for who he is, for what he's done, and for what he will do. That's why you should have gathered today. To praise the Lord for who he is. That's enough. But our God acts, so we praise him for what he's done. And our God has made his promises, so we praise him for what he will do. First, let's look at verses 1 and 3. The people praise the Lord for who he is. Verse 1, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Now there's some background and history in the minds of not only the songwriters of God's people, and we'll try to fill some of that in today as we go, but turn with me to Psalms 96. Remember, Israel lived in a culture of people who worshipped many gods. Around them. They lived in that culture. Remember, there's a lot of God's commands for his people to be holy and separate had to do with idolatry, the thing that Israel would struggle with their whole life. Psalms 96, verse 4 says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all what? Gods. We fear to go above all gods. 
And so Zion is pointing to the great king of Zion, the city of our God, the city of our king. Look at verse 2. It's interesting. If you look at the geographical region where Zion is, where Jerusalem is, it says his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is a joy of all the earth. So Zion here, Jerusalem, where God's people are, is beautiful and joyous place in all the earth. Why? Because here's the reality. There's nothing that remarkable about Jerusalem. He's not making a geographical statement. He's making a theological statement. And this is critical. It's beautiful because Yahweh is there. It gives joy because you can meet Yahweh there. That's the point as it is today. Where is God in relationship to his people? But look at verse, the end of verse 2. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Well, geographically, Zion's not really in the far north. So what is he talking about? Again, most people believe he's not making a geographical statement. That's not his point. He's making a theological statement, especially in relationship to the false gods of that day. For in the far north, there was a mountain called Zaphon. It was Baal's mountain. It was higher than Mount Zion. And here's what he's saying. Yahweh is the real sovereign, not Baal. What makes this place holy? It's not the place. It's not the geography. It's not the building. It's not the structure. It's Yahweh. It's God. Zion is in the great king's town. And that's what makes it great. Listen, there's an important picture that's painted here that goes all the way to the birth of Christ. Yahweh didn't build Jerusalem on the most highest, the most impressive mountain, but a relatively small one. The significance lie in the fact that Yahweh is great king lived there. I can't say it any better than this. Listen, quote, God's presence makes any place notable and desirable. It makes the stone in the wilderness a Bethel. It makes Jerusalem the most famous city in the world. The birth of Jesus made Bethlehem and his residence made Nazareth famous to all coming time. But all these were otherwise poor places and the latter of them was even infamous. What good could come out of Nazareth? The king could. Do you see that connection? It's really important. This is good. It's good. I heard Robbie say this last week. I'll say it again. God didn't save you nor Israel because of our impressive resumes. For none of us have one in comparison with God. And our, your unimpressive resume does not matter to God. What matters is that we know is the king. That's good news today. That's drop the mic. The greatest thing about you and about me is that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, God himself lives within us. It's good news today. Verse 3 says, Within her citadels, back now, Psalms 48, Within her citadels, God has made Himself known to her. 
In other words, God is our fortress. Remember, this is every time you read Psalms, you, you hear this. God is a refuge. God is a strength. God is a fortress. In other words, it's not about their walls, their chariots, their horses, their towers. It's not about the presidents or the economy or, or anything else. It's not about the American dream. That's not what makes America great. It's not this economy that will make it great again. We are great because of the God that we know that has made himself known to us. He is our strength. In other words, when you study the psalm, it's hard to see it from here. There's two sides of the coin, and Pastor Robbie last week focused a lot on one side of the coin, and we'll look at both sides today. In other words, as far as your worship goes, it's of God, it's a two-sided coin. On one side is His royalness. We speak of His sovereignty over all things. This is one side. He is powerful. He is glorious. He's over all human beings. None can say to God, what have you done? But on the other side of the coin is this picture of the city of God. Where God dwells with His people. That God, that sovereign God, the one who created Elohim, is Yahweh, sky with His people. We picture God's presence, His power, His provision, His tender care, His faithful love. Two sides to our worship. Psalms 46, we see both sides of it. Psalms 46, 1 to 7. Remember, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains move into the heart of the sea. You say, you have to have a sovereign God for that really to be true. He has to be sovereign over all things in creation to really be a comfort to anybody. But look at what else he says. Verse 4, we've already read it. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. This sovereign God dwells with His people. He lives with us. He's chosen us as His people. The Lord, look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. Spurgeon connects this to the church so well. It says, In the church the Lord is to be extolled, though all the nations rage against Him. Jerusalem was the special abode of of the God of Israel, the seat of the theocratic government, and the center of prescribed worship. Thus, listen, thus is the church the place of divine manifestation. Now, there's a high view of church that if you understand Zion, you begin to love the church even more. For you are not simply indwelled with the Holy Spirit, but God's corporate churches as well. You see, heaven is not heaven because of its intrinsic beauty in and of itself. Heaven is not heaven because one day we will meet our loved ones there, and we will. Heaven is heaven. It's beautiful and it's glorious because that's where Yahweh is. That's what makes Zion, Zion. God is there. We worship Him for who He is, and we worship Him for what He's done. That's verses 4 to 11 in the text, Psalms 48. What has He done? You see, back to our coin illustration. 
When God makes himself known to this world, two sides. There's two realities of the way people respond. One is joy. They see him. He makes himself known. And his people do what? They rejoice. Desire God. The Lord of hosts is for us. But how does his enemies respond? Verses 1 to 3 is people are responding. And then we see verses 4 and 5. Now the enemies are going to respond. And this is the way it always has been throughout history. Two responses. Look at verse 4. For behold, the king assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took flight. So verses 4 and 5, we see this celebration going on. But we also see a little bit back into the past. The enemies gathered. This is a picture of the, the kings aligning themselves together, building alliances. We hear a lot about that in, in the government. Don't we? we build the right alliances because we want to take Israel. We want to get rid of them. We want to wipe them off the earth. But God made himself known. So what's in their mind when they're singing this? See, the Bible was written to a specific people in a specific time. What was in their minds? Well, a couple things we know for sure in the past. All through these Psalms, the Red Sea and the conquest, the occupation of Canaan, the promised land is in their people's minds. It's in the songwriters' minds when they're writing. We've talked about the Red Sea. I'm not going to talk about that again. That was Israel's exodus. Where he brought plagues down on Egypt, delivered his people. And then we remember the the Pharaoh's army washing up on the bank because God delivered his people. But do you remember the occupation of Canaan? When Joshua went, went into the promised land? Let's turn and look at just one place. I want you to see the king's responses here because this is what's in the, in the songwriter's mind. This is what's in the people's mind. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5 verse 1. You see, this is what God has already done. This is what, what they are praising him for. Uh, not only for who he is, but what he has done in the past. He has delivered us from slavery of Egypt. He has delivered us from Pharaoh and he brought us into the promised land What were the enemy's responses in Joshua 5 verse 1? Look at this. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. That's exactly what's in their mind. That's exactly what Yahweh had done for His people. They went into the promised land and when they saw what Yahweh did, the enemies, they said their hearts melted. That's the picture of courage fleeing and fear coming. But what about the present? What about the present? Well, turn with me to Chronicles. Chronicles. This is only one place that it's found. I just want you to see it. We don't have time to get into it in any, any depth. But I want you to see this is present in the history for the people of God. In chapter 32, we see in, 
in Israel's history, the king of Syria, Sennacherib. I hate to have that name. I'd like to have to write that on your driver's license. <laughs> Sennacherib. The king encamped themselves around the people of God. Do you remember what happened? This king, from verses 9 to verses 19, begins to blaspheme the people of God and God himself. Remember, he proclaimed in, the, he, in their own language, he wrote letters to them, verse 17. It says, and he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against them, saying, like the gods of the nations of the lands who have, who have not delivered their people from my hands, and so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Look at verse 20. Then Hezekiah, the king of Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed before, because of this and cried out to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. For many brought the gifts to the Lord of, to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and so that he was exalted in the sight of the nations from that time onward. This is the present reality of why they were worshiping the king of Zion. He had delivered them in the past, and he had delivered them in the present. Psalms 2 says the nations plot, and God laughs. Remember Julius Caesar? He says, I came, I saw, I conquered. Well, not here they didn't. They came, they saw, they fled. Matter of fact, he gives another, we got a lot of twos going on this morning. He, give, he gives two images here in verses 6 and 7. They were so scared, it was the, the anguish, it caused anguish. Like a woman in labor. And I love this illustration. By the east wind, you have shattered the ships of Tarshish, this picture. We have an actual story in the history that I came across. I thought it was really interesting. It describes verse 7. In 1588, the Spanish Armada set sail to take over England. King Philip II had commissioned this invasion. They, the purpose was to conquer them. They sent 130 ships and 7,000 sailors and 17,000 soldiers. And the British commander, Sir Francis Drake, met them in the English Channel. And they were outmanned and outgunned and they fought. But listen to the story. But the real victory came when the weather changed and the wind blew the Spanish ships up to the channel towards Scotland when they attempted to round and thus return to Spain by the passing of the North Sea. On the western coast of Ireland, scores of the ships ran aground on the, on the shores of Ireland. The crews, the, sink, the ships sank, the crews were massacred. Only about half of them made it back home. Said though many modern authors attributed to the superior English Navy, that's not the way the English saw it. For they commissioned a coin to be cast 
And on this coin it said, God blew upon them and they were scattered. This is what the people were were saying in verse 7. God has brought us victory. Look at verse 8. I love this line. As we have heard, so we have seen. My daddy told me about the Exodus, but I wasn't there. But I was there when the king of Assyria turned tail and went home. And we don't know what happened. I mean, we're in the, in the place safe. And all of a sudden, they're gone. All of a sudden, we hear that his own sons killed him. Just a word here. Don't miss this. God's pattern in the past sets the pace for our present and our future. This is important, brothers and sisters. It's important, graduates. It's important to understand that that there are two great teachers in this world. History and experience. And if you do not learn from history, you will learn by experience. And this is the positive way. He takes this, this sobering warning for us. If we do not learn from the past, we will repeat the past. And he turns it to the positive and say, learn from the past. And have your eyes open to the present. At this, the song pauses. Verse 8. Selah. He opens up with, with a challenge of verse 9. We have thought on the steadfast love of God. It's the purpose of this whole series. Learning to love God with not just your heart, but with your mind. With your mind. We have thought about it. In other words, he's saying... God, we just didn't let this deliverance pass by and say, Whew, man, glad all that's over with. We, we, got, we got by with the skin of teeth on that one. He's saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to grab hold of this deliverance and we're going to dwell deeply on it. This was our God saying to us, I love you. I care for you. Trust me. I love Spurgeon because he has these little one-liners. He says so well. He says, holy men are thoughtful men. People who just don't, do not let the mercies and the grace of God pass by quickly. Speaking to the church again, he says, Where God is most seen, He is best loved. The assembled saints constitute a living temple. And our deepest musings when so gathered together should have regard to the loving kindness of the Lord. The godly gather together and meditate on His mighty acts, none of which is greater than the fact that He saved us. God's calling us here, brothers and sisters, to not begin your day by opening up a little card box and pulling out a scripture verse, read it saying a two-minute prayer and going about your day. He's calling us to stop. He's calling us to get up and dwell on your God. He's worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. Inside of all of this, there is this missional nature that I don't want you to miss today. It's overwhelmed me. Look at verse 10. As your, as your name, O God, back in Psalms 48, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. This just drips of Moses' song in Exodus 15. The name 
the praise. He's, they're thinking, Egypt in my past and Assyria in our present. We have been delivered because of the authority of your name and because of the power of your right hand. God's hand is not empty for his people. It is full. You're in his praise. Listen. It's not going to be contained in King's Mountain, nor Gastonia, nor Bessemer City. His, this praise is going to the nations. I want you to see something. Leadership team met this morning and showing that to a couple of them afterwards. Turn with me to Psalms 87. I want you to see this. This just blew me away. Psalms 87. Look at verse 1. I'm not going to get into detail because we're going to come here again sooner or later whenever we finally make it to Psalms 87. Look at verse 1. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwelling place of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Look at verse 4. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab in Babylon. Behold Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one was born in her. For the Most High Himself will establish her. Verse 6, the Lord records as He registers the peoples. This one was born there. Are you getting this? Are you getting the mission of God? Foretold here in a psalm. Galatians 4.26 says it this way. But... The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. What is that saying, brothers and sisters? What does this mean? It means when you are born again, you become citizens of Zion, citizens of the new Jerusalem. Your citizenship is settled in the mind of God. We are the outpost of Zion right here, and our citizenship is nailed down, made up. Brothers and sisters, when we read Psalms 87, and you read Rahab, you should see her yourself. We are Rahab, we are Babylon, we are Cush, and God in His great mercy has saved us and brought us into the people of God. And there is no greater mercy than that. It is a mercy. And so verse 11 ought to be our praise. Let the Mount Zion be glad. Last week, let Zion clap His hands, for we are the people of God. Even the daughters of Judah. Do you see that? Not the daughters of Judah. What does that mean? That even the little towns outside of Jerusalem protected under God's wings. They will all sing the song. We praise Him for who He is. We praise Him for what He's done. And listen, we praise Him for what He will do. You see it? Look at verse 12. Walk about Zion. Go around her number her towers consider well her ramparts go through her citadels why you may tell the next generation that this is God what is he telling them to do see if we're so busy we never even stop and just walk around 
Just stop next week and just look what God has done in your life. This is what he's saying to the people walk about. Not that the towers are God. Not that the city is God. But all that he has given them has come from God. What do we have that we did not receive? Can you imagine being the people of God and walking around in a promised land? I didn't build, I didn't plant that garden. I didn't build that house. I didn't start that business. God, give us this. What grace. The greatest apologetic of our day, brothers and sisters, is the church of Jesus Christ. For she is the people of God. And Battleground Community Church is the visible manifestation, the visible expression of God in King's Mountain. And that should get all over you today. That God's church here, not just Battleground, but the church, God's manifested presence among His people. He has protected us and preserved us to this day by His grace so that we and you and I today could gather together and worship our King. It's quite a privilege. He said we went to Niagara Falls. and You know you're a preacher. You're always getting sermon illustrations. And uh, we had a falls view and it was beautiful. And you couldn't help. Every time you went into the room, every time you got up from the bed, you just had to go out there and look. You just never got, look, got tired of looking at Niagara Falls and its beauty and its splendor. And one day I, I went over there and I, I was looking out there. And there's this little bridge that goes over and you take this little shuttle down the hill. And these two little girls were on this bridge. And they had their little, they had their little phones. Oh my goodness, I'm running out of time. And uh, they had their phones. And they would... They would stand back and they would take them, and then the girls would, she would walk across the bridge, and the other ones would crawl. Then they'd go together and they'd look at your phone. And then they would, uh, you know, they'd do their hair, and then they'd go back here, look at your phone. It just went on. This went on for a long time. I was sitting there going, but see, they didn't have my perspective. How stupid that looked. Because they were standing at the backdrop of Niagara Falls and they were too self-consumed to appreciate it. Do you see the picture today? We stand in the backdrop. You breathe the air God has given you. You have the family God has blessed you with. Whether they are here or whether they are with the Lord, they were God's grace in your life. And even though we sometimes do not feel it, we must give thanks to our God for great things He has done. And if He never done a good thing in your life, we praise Him for who He is. So, can we go to the cross? Because, you know, you might say, you know what, didn't those people get judged? They did. Lamentation 2.15 tells when people walk by, they wag their heads at Jerusalem because of the judgment that happened in their life. And they says, is this supposed to be the beautiful, joyful Israel? 
I love this picture of them wagging their head. Because in Mark 15 on the cross, that's exactly what the, the religious leaders did when they walked by the cross. They wagged their head. As Jesus Christ, our Savior, took the shame of his people on himself. Wow. So that they might be glad in him. That he might remove them. Matthew 16, 18 says on this rock. He says to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. From that moment Christ entered into time and space. We as the church do not live in the walls. For Christ died outside the gate. And he has given us the mission in Matthew 20, 18, that we are to go outside the gate and proclaim his glory until he comes. We are not defensive church. We are an offensive church because we live under the promises of God. And so from beginning to end today, verse 1, praise the king. Verse 14, he will guide you forever. So here's the question then. Will you praise the Lord with His people? It's not a private party. This praise is corporate praise. We are not the person of God. We are the people of God. 2 Peter 2. Let's just look at verse 9. But you... Who? Who's the you? You look back at verse 3. It's those who have been born again. Those who have tasted that the Lord is good. That's the you. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. Why? Why are you chosen? Why are you royal? Why are you a holy Why are you His people? So that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him. Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. If you have tasted that God is good. Church, we praise him. Because we are the outpost of Zion in this world. And how we love each other. And how we love the world that God has set us in. Magnifies our Lord. This is our commission We praise Him because we are His people. Calls us royal, holy, and most importantly, we're His. He never lost a child yet. I love 2 Peter 3.13. It closes like this. By according to His promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. That is a sure promise that we will all experience. But until we do, let us proclaim His glory and let us worship our King until He comes. Let's pray together. So Lord, we have seen Your Word today, this celebration among Your people that's still going on and has expanded because Your Son manifested Himself in the flesh and moved in beside of us. What can we say to so great a mercy? Oh Lord, would you receive our worship now as 
the people of old would come as a response to your mercy and give offerings to you, not for their sin, Lord, but just to say we are grateful and we love you. Lord, receive our thank offering of praise now as we worship you. And then, Lord, may we worship you. May we praise you this week by how we live. May we praise you by being more grateful than complaining. May we praise you by the way we love our spouses and our children. Lord, may we taste and see this week that you are good. Bless your people, Lord. And receive our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.